do. I'm in a rabbit suit. Can't even say goodbye. Hello, I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. But where are you going, Mr. Rabbit? Mr. Rabbit, please wait. I'm late. He's late for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye. He's late. He's late. He's late. When? All right. Hello, everybody, and thank you especially for our live viewers' patience this morning. We are starting 37 minutes late today, and it's just a number of reasons. But, man, we had an amazing weekend. And as CJ wants you to know and comment Jim Freedom, who's in studio with us right now, if you were one of our patrons, you would know in real time why we were late this morning. There's a couple things. We were, we were kind of close anyway. Uh, I didn't stop working last night, or at least like get, get off the job site until 1 a.m. Now, you're a, why? Like, why would you? Why? We're working with shop lights at night in the wind and the dust, and we had an epic project that we had to get done. So I didn't get to bed until 2 a.m. took me another hour to finally get all the way into bed and get up this morning just in time to prep for the show and was on time and with my links and everything, and CJ was on time. And then we got out here, and there are cows on the property. I know that sounds like, wait a second, delay of game due to cattle. You know, it's just another fun quirk of off-grid living. At least we didn't have, we didn't have to cancel anything for Corona out here. Did we have any lockdowns in Gardenia? Did we have any? Did we have any social? Did we social distancing requirements? No. Did we have any? No, we we didn't even have any event cancellations. We had a wedding out here since coronaphobia started. But we got up this morning, getting ready to start the show. Look out the window. Why is there a herd of cattle inside our fence? Yeah. So we live in Juniper Wood Ranch, which is a hundred twenty thousand acre cattle ranch where uh, it's still open range. And so the first thing you do generally when you buy a land out here is fence it off. And that's what we did. So we got a fence. Last night, apparently, someone was delivering water and left our gate open. And now the part of the fun with this uh, is that the cows, uh, well, when, when they come on, I don't know if I should say this publicly, but when I chased them off last, they came all the way to the upper level, and I just shot them in the rump with a BB gun mm-hmm. and chased them. I was very effective. Uh, but just the difference in the vegetation on this property, if you look how it grows up here and how much more healthy grass that we have, just having been here four years and having this area mostly roped off from cattle, fenced off, it's it's made a huge difference. And then you go, oh, my gosh, what? You know, destructive effect this is like, and I'm I'm a consumer choice vegan, which means I get to be a vegan without having to be a dick about it. The only thing for me is I'll never buy or order animal products. Someone else wants to do it for me, no problem. If it, if someone's cooking, if it's leftovers, I I don't care. I don't complain. I don't I don't you know any of that. But when you think about you know, because I, I studied this, and for me, it really purely comes down to the non-aggression principle. And I I asked. You, you want me? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna get into it today, because this is like it's a. It's this is a really dangerous. It's, this is a dangerous topic. This is an easy way to piss people off. You're a murderer because you eat meat. No, I see. I don't have to say. I'm not that kind of vegan, right? So, uh, you know, I've I've studied this 
Hey, oh, so here's the question. You want you want the bomb in the brain? For every libertarian, they'll make you a vegan eventually. If an alien life form came to Earth and was friendly and was like, hey, guys, I'm just visiting from another planet. I just want to hang out and say hi and see what's going on. Would you extend the non-aggression principle to that alien? And if you would, then you have to admit, and this is like obvious anyway to anybody who's really examined this philosophically, that the non-aggression principle does not apply to you because you're human. Because human is a biological distinction, right? It's, it's, a, it's a genetic criteria. We're talking about ethics, we're talking about morals. What entitles you to self-ownership? Now, there, there's a whole other Pandora's box that you open with this philosophically. Maybe we'll do maybe we'll do a special episode on this. People are interested because it's a lot of fun. But I was just thinking, like, and this isn't whether you're a vegetarian or a vegan or not. The destructiveness of the meat industry is criminal, and it's only possible because of government. If it wasn't for government protecting people from liability and for the government management of public lands the way that we're doing it today, you wouldn't have this and and the thoughtlessness of it like there's no way that you can say keeping chickens in little boxes and basically and, and, and torturing them because it's you cut their beaks off and limit their motion and clip wings and like look at factory and i love eggs and i as a consumer choice vegan i have no problem with having chickens here at the garden and saying well we have an ethical, symbiotic, voluntary relationship with our chickens. They make us eggs. We eat eggs. So I don't have a problem eating animal products, obviously. And there's a way to do it that's humane and value-creating rather than value-destroying or at least minimizing the value-destruction involved in the process. And what we have today with a government-approved corporate meat industry is something else. So, ladies and gentlemen... Give it up for Common Jim Freedom in studio today. Right over there. Oh. Right over there. All right. So, Jim, we have a few more administrative things to cover today before we get into this big pile of headlines. We have we have a contest going on. Do, do you want to you, you want to go with this one today? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, okay. Remind me. <laughs> you like? I'm, no, the, I was reading. The well. Comments. well so, <laughs> What we want to do is transition to nothing but Patreon for our live stream so that we can create a truly censorship-free space. And remember, if you can't say frick, you can't say frick the government, which is pretty close to what Lenny Bruce said in his original quote. Obviously, I'm I'm paraphrasing slightly for, for YouTube's benefit and for all the Karens of the world. But this is something that's a big deal now, it's like because we're in this we're in this kind of fuzzy period for independent journalism online, independent media having gone through a golden age and kind of coming back. It seems now, although who knows? In the age of Corona, I mean, we're, we've got some social media stories. Twitter apparently not as good on being censorship free as as we had thought. Not that it's I shouldn't say. Oh, we'll get into that later today. So. We've been, CJ, pull yourself up on screen here. Eventually. CJ, what, so how has it been going so far this last week broadcasting live through Patreon? Uh, well, are we live on Patreon right now? I mean, I can take a peek real quick and and see if uh, we're there. I think Jim actually has better it's access on his up. phone. It's been popping up, and the live stream has been good. 
So as far as the contest going, sorry for my brain fart a minute ago. I'm really tired Dude. from the work yesterday. Yeah, it's a brutal Sunday. <laughs> but the contest, we're looking for your feedback on how we should do this transition, how we should most smoothly uh, move everything off of the main three, uh, Facebook and YouTube and everybody, and move it over to the fully uncensored Patreon. So if you have a, a good idea as how we should actually transition, uh, originally our idea was basically to start running like we did the other day, a Patreon-only live feed after the show. Yeah. That you have to be a patron member to, you know, but eventually I think our whole hour is going to be there, right? Well, so we could do, you know, Friday's Patreon-only live call-in. We could do... Ten minutes after every show, Patreon-only bonus segment. We could do uh, the second hour of the show all on Patreon to start and just be like, you know, and, I mean, maybe we – CJ, is it feasible? Oh, no, you have to start another link, right? Yeah. Well, well ac- actually, um, I'm actually I, I'm pretty sure you do, but I'm pretty sure I can also change the link to unlisted – I don't know. It's kind of complicated, but right now there is no way to separate Patreon uh, from this live stream to that. However, we can just, like I said, take if you're in our patrons-only group and you get the link, then as soon as we're back from our live broadcast here, you know to expect that link as a Patreon member, and you then click the new link. And uh, what did you say, Jim, earlier that pay, that uh, Streamyard's moving to ten people? Uh, yeah, in the backstage area? I just saw it this morning. They're literally up in the, uh, for the free stream yard, you can still only do six, but for the professional version. Right, like, we have the professional. but right. So we'd be able to host seven more people on any given patron show. We'd be able to, uh, you know, do things over there that we can't do over here on YouTube where and Facebook subsequently, unless, you know, all of your, Numbers get suppressed, and they censor you, and they oh, take your the, revenue. Uh, oh, no, it's all over in the data, sir. If you follow the data behind the scenes, uh, you're seeing lifetime censorship in ways we can't explain. It's almost like unless you have the nod from the two-party system, you are being censored in some form or fashion. And I know, little hint here, there's a story later on that we're going to go through uh, about a new social media platform as well that's asking people to join their platform and and it's kind of interesting who's leading it and and so i saw that and that's that's gonna be fun but as far as patreon only goes this is just the easiest way for people to show your support show that that you're engaging back into the conversation and 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 you're doing so in that manner that says i'm a supporter uh we can weed out a lot of unnecessary chat chatter in the comments because if you're not paying for the show do you really care about the show kind of thing and I think it's just the easiest way to show you care and and uh help us out. So it's probably the most libertarian thing you can do is let the free market decide. Don't let these big platforms control who is getting pushed to the top of a message on any given day. So but with that being said, I can't wait for Patreon only because this censorship over on YouTube's got me like hey you tweedly deezers, like how do I say this without getting further push down the sensor <laughs> hole. So, but yeah, that's, uh, that's what I got. So again, producer at the freedom com. If you need me for anything other than that. 
the first rule of YouTube censorship is you do not talk about YouTube censorship or you will be censored. All right, it is it is very frustrating, but at the same time, very reaffirming. If we were just getting the message out and nobody cared and there was no resistance, like, why do they censor us? It's because there's a portion of the general public that is hungry for this message, that if they heard it, things would be different. The racket would be less effective which means that our message is dangerous to the racket. And when they prove it to us like this, it's very reassuring that we're on the right track. Jim, any comments, any hot comments so far this morning or anything from the pre-show? Yeah, yeah, related to this, actually, Inside of the Ages is pointing out they restrict my Super Chat content all the time. He watches from YouTube, obviously. He's a patron of ours, though, and that's probably what led him to do that. Because hmm. he can contact you now in the producers club. He doesn't yeah. Super chat. Yeah. So YouTube. Cr- wait, wait. The content of the super. Like if you put the f word in the super chat, they. Yeah. Or if you put the c word, which is not see you next Tuesday. It's the beer, the c word, because you can't mention the virus, which shall not be named, without triggering their sensitive content and possible misinformation trigger. All right, that's me. that being said, let's jump right into it. Our top stories today, of course, are about the coronavirus. And it's nice every now and then to be able to cover the news and not talk about the coronavirus. Today is not one of those days. It's Monday, June 29th, 2020. And we've had a lot of things happen over the weekend with the coronavirus. But we're actually genuinely in a new stage with things where we have to re-examine what is the nature of the lockdowns, what is the nature of the virus itself. So first, we go to msn.com for AFB. China puts half a million people in lockdown as Beijing fights new cluster. So many cluster frick jokes I could make if YouTube allowed it. China imposed a strict lockdown on nearly half a million people in a province surrounding the capital to contain a fresh coronavirus cluster on Sunday as authorities warned the outbreak was still severe and complicated. And this is in contrast to in the United States where we have two, uh, well, maybe it's not. Maybe they have divergent messages there. I imagine the Communist Party of China is a little more unified than the Socialist Party of America. By the way, that's how we refer to the Democrats and Republicans now. It's the left and the right wing of the American Socialist Party. They're all socialists. The difference between them is going off a cliff at 70 miles an hour or 80 miles an hour. And here in the United States, we have the president and vice president going, we've flattened the curve. And then we have the Department of Health and Human Services saying, well, no, it's about to be too late to even try to contain this thing. And this is like what I've been saying from the beginning is you just, you know, appropriate precautions, let people set their own levels of risk. You treat this like any other disease. It's not particularly more deadly than the flu. I mean, and and the numbers are still coming in on this. They're coming down because you're getting more people tested finally for antibodies. People who have gotten it and recovered who are completely asymptomatic are starting to show up in the statistics which means that the mortality rate goes down, whereas before you saw the deaths. We know they were over-reported anyway, 
guy with a gunshot wound because he tested positive with corona is not listed as dying with corona, but uh, check from corona. Now we get more money for our hospitals. Now we get more and, and more fear mongering, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, maybe we have flattened the curve, you know, in a sense. I mean, maybe there, there really was no curve to flatten. Remember, the original flatten the curve that's behind all of this, because this was the final justification for lockdowns and shutdowns and regulation. It wasn't, hey, we have to stop people from uh, getting the virus. That's going to happen eventually. It's, it's going to get out there. Most people aren't. But we have to slow down, slow down the course of the virus, which is eventually going to run through all society, so that the curve doesn't go up too high over this imaginary line where hospital beds are filled with critical care patients. We never really hit that. All the stories about that were nonsense. They were shutting down hospitals with elective surgeries being deferred. And so you have problems at hospitals, but it wasn't for being overwhelmed with coronavirus patients. You know, again, you look at the numbers, nothing suggests that this is any worse than a funky off-season flu, except maybe in the nature of it spreading and the fear of it and the government response. So back to China, after China largely brought the virus under control, hundreds have been infected in Beijing and cases have emerged in neighboring Hebei province in recent weeks. Health officials said Sunday, is anybody going to be offended that I mispronounced Chinese provincial names? Hebei, 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 I don't know. Health officials said Sunday that Anxin County, about 150 kilometers, that's 90 miles for you imperial system plebs, from Beijing will be fully enclosed and controlled, the same strict measures imposed at the height of the pandemic in the city of Wuhan earlier this year. One, only one person from each family will be allowed to go out once a day to purchase necessities such as food and medicine, the county's epidemic prevention task force said to say, well, that's good. I mean, at least if, if only one person is going out, you, the rest can stay home and that other person can bring the coronavirus back to them. They don't even have to go out to get sick. But, you know, I mean, this is, it's insane. I, I catch myself going, get sick. Now, one of the things we saw that was really funny in the headlines today is that the uh, CDC in the United States has added three new symptoms to the coronavirus, right? And you go, wait wait a second, three new symptoms. Can, can you guess, Jim, did you see this one? Can you guess what they are? Runny nose. Yeah, that, that was like that. I thought they had said that before. You know, runny nose, if you have a runny nose, it's an early sign. Uh, stomach upset. And diarrhea. Well, I had a little soft stool this morning. I probably have the Rona. I mean, did you see what they they like? And I, I hate. I have to go back and tell this story real quick. Is I fell for it. We fell for it. My my wife, myself, our driver at the time when we were touring, we 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 were like, well, I guess we got it. You know, we thought we had it. We we're like, well, we probably had it. a mild version, and we're getting over it. It's not a big deal. Or we we're like, well. Remember when we all had that weird sinus infection in December? It was like, you know, again, the deliberate confusion around this, sowing seeds of conspiracy. Well, remember when everybody had that weird flu in December? Maybe that, maybe the coronavirus came to America before that. So they have to keep changing things and make you afraid. So 
to Pittsburgh CBS now. Gym patrons potentially exposed to coronavirus at Planet Fitness in West Virginia. Remember, I was telling you months ago that when they shut down gyms, we were headed for a meathead revolt. And we saw some of that, right? Man, I get to say I told you so again. We had gyms leading, and not people named Jim like Jim Free. We had gyms leading the civil disobedience against the shutdown, saying, like, we're coming here to be healthy. Yes, we're going to touch a lot of surfaces that other people are touching, and we're going to wash our hands. Oh, my gosh. And we saw, yeah, Planet Fitness was, uh, you know, Planet Fitness. The gym for people who don't like to work out. I get it. Uh, I'm an Anytime Fitness member myself, fan of gold. Love all the gyms out there. Everybody using whatever it takes to be healthy. And we've seen an explosion in home workouts. But people got to go to the gym, you know. Like, and, and I know what that's like. I got weights here at home. I'm okay. If I'm not traveling, you know, I don't need to do it. But if if I'm not if I'm not doing manual labor every day, right, then you know it's it's nice to be able to go to the gym, but it's not just hey, it's nice, it's essential to maintain full health for a lot of people. So now what they want you to be afraid of that. There is a general attempt here to suppress health in general. Now we've we've referred to this virus as less deadly than testifying against Hillary Clinton, less deadly than trying to spend a counterfeit $20 bill in Minneapolis, perhaps more appropriate here to make this point, less deadly than drinking the water in Flint, Michigan. Government doesn't care about your health. And when they're saying, hey, be afraid of gyms, I mean, I'm afraid of common gym freedom for other reasons, but be afraid of going to the gym because you might get sick and die or you're it's almost worse because they can't get away with that lie anymore, right? You might become a carrier, and you might infect someone who would die later. Do we have to apply this to the flu now? Is this just? And again, there is a there is a fundamental shift in the human experience around this. There, there's a new normal, and there's a new normal now. But even if we were to get over all of this somehow. And it, it really, it, it's kind of like the final phase of the Chinese finger trap of government, I hope. I hope it's the final phase. So anyway, to this Planet Fitness story, health officials are warning hundreds of people who went to a Planet Fitness in West Virginia that they may have been exposed to the coronavirus. The news comes after the Monongadia County Health Department says one client at the gym tested positive for COVID-19. Anyone at the Planet Fitness from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on June 24th is asked to quarantine at home and monitor any symptoms for two weeks. Health officials estimate that 205 people were at the gym within that span of time. Oh, my gosh. I'm – and they're going to do – they're gonna have a third-party cleaning crew come in and stand, disinfect the facilities prior to reopening. And now, you know, like I said, even even for me as a, as a, a germaphobe, uh, I'm you know, I'm kind of glad that there's this increased consciousness of of can, the contagion theory of, of of illness. Right? Is that what they call? No, it's the germ theory of disease. 
and and just the way that, that germs can be contagious. But already we're seeing negative consequences from people overreacting out of fear. Now, what is that overreaction and fear? It could be as little as, oh, I got to put a mask on. Or I'm going to wear my mask in my car. And, you know, we saw we saw that even here in Ashford last week. Jim and I were like at the gas station, people driving in and out wearing masks the whole time. You're like, oh my god, you failed the big public IQ test. Now, just to be clear about my position on the mask, it, yeah. Okay, you, you know, if you want to wear them around other people to say, hey, I might be a carrier, I'm protecting you, okay, fine. Understand that that's what you're doing. And there are times I'll do that just to put people at ease if I'm going to a certain store. You know, although now here in Arizona, you know, we were just talking about this before the show, right, Jim? It's optional, right, to wear a mask for, I mean, you've been to Wall, like, what? who's open? Corporate giants who are allowed to do business. These friends of government, right? Walmart, it's optional. Yeah. Home Depot, it's optional. Those are the, the stores that you, you, you've been to in the last week. And that's great. You know, people, like, if, if there was a business that said, you know, hey, before you come in here, please wear a mask, I would respect it. If I'm going and visiting someone's home and they say, please wear a mask, I would totally respect it. You want to level up your germophobia just that much. Hey, let's let's do this little polite effort to minimize our communication through droplets, right? So that overreaction out of fear in terms of disinfection is already having consequences in some places where the disinfecting agents are causing health problems. Shocking, right? But it's not just that. Like, I see this even at, at, at the Planet Fitness. There's all this effort going into something that it shouldn't go. Now, I, you know, I do this all the time, even with myself. Like, hey, I'm building this. Could I be building that instead? Would that bring more value into my life? Is this a misallocation of my time and energy? You're never going to be perfect in that regard, right? You're never going to go, this is exactly what I need to be doing right now to maximize value in my life. Nothing could be better. You know, there's there's always room for improvement. But it is heartbreaking when you see this huge social fear response leading to massive misallocations of resources, of energy, of time, effort, all of these things that could be going to solving the homelessness problem in America, which, by the way, is about to get a lot bigger. You could be addressing police brutality, which is good. You know, people are, are putting some energy into that, finally, although it seems like a distraction from the ripoff of coronavirus. You could be... Just being politically engaged enough to come to the conclusion that government is a racket and every time Congress passes a bill, they're ripping you off and the more you can do to remove your support from the system, the better. Like, you could improve your life in so many other ways if you weren't engaged in this fear. And there's this whole other layer of stress and fear across society right now, anxiety. And, we're, and, and a lot of this is 
can we can we go out now? Can we go out now? Can we go? And I don't mean leave the house because they never got the the lockdown really to that level. But can we make travel plans? Can we leave the state? And isn't it funny that this is how we have things broken down? This is where we see you can control movement as government and a crisis is on, on government borders, on state borders. We see in Florida now, they are going to be checking license plates and asking for quarantine for anybody who comes into the state now. And I'm going... I don't know if I want to go to the Libertarian National Convention at this point. This is my big personal uncertainty. Because that's a big endeavor for, not, not big, like, I mean, I get in my bus and we drive to Florida, we drive back. But what, what happens if one of the states, like, we have to drive through how many states? I went, should I try to do the map? Uh, New Mexico, Texas. Louisiana, you're pulling up a map. Louisiana, you go uh, Alabama, and then you're in Florida, Mississippi, Florida, right? There's a lot. What if what if any one of those states says, "Hey, when you come into our, did I get them all? Yeah. When you come into our state, Adam passes the geography test this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so. Any one of those states could say, hey, when you come into our state, you have to quarantine for two weeks, and we're going to watch, we're going to track you, we're going to monitor you. Am I, and, and what if it's on the way back? Okay, so New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, is it Mississippi? Wait, sorry, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, six states. I don't know if it's Alabama or Mississippi first. Oh, he's got to pull. Look at that. Mississippi, then Alabama. Um, yeah, okay. So, wait, on this route, we also passed through Arkansas. Thank you. Yeah, see, that's what I was thinking. Louisiana, because it's the boot. You go through part of it, and then you hit Arkansas. You don't get to go down to the you run through Houston, you go skip Arkansas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got Arkansas, too, seven states. What if all of them imposed a two-week lockdown when you come in while we're in Florida? And then we're stuck in Florida? Well, we're stuck in Florida for two weeks. Then we drive to Alabama. (laughs) Then we're stuck in Alabama for two weeks. Then we're stuck in Mississippi for two weeks. Then we're stuck in Arkansas for two weeks. Then Louisiana in two weeks. Then Texas two. So you see, like, just a simple thing. I'm going to drive to Orlando and back. No big deal. Now it's a big freaking deal. And it's a huge risk. Is it worth it for what this represents? If I can participate online? I don't know. Now that I think, like, if things, because we made these plans for Orlando, assuming that things were coming down in terms of the curve of tyranny that we had flattened the curve. I, I guess, in that sense, America really has failed to flatten the curve of tyranny. Some of the stories are, you know, encouraging when you see sheriffs saying, no, we're not going to enforce anything. But then, you know, that, another just random story today, apparently there was a shopper somewhere shoved into a wall by a sheriff's deputy, like crazy viral video, for not wearing a mask. Just for not wearing a mask. That was, I'm sure there's way more to the story than that. 
But no, overall, has the curve of tyranny been flattened in America? Absolutely not. Now, back to the fear. We go to the Daily Mail. Keep moving. Moment lawyer couple brandish an AR-15 and handgun at protesters marching past their mansion in an upscale St. Louis neighborhood. Husband and wife Mark and Patricia McCloskey could be seen aiming the guns at demonstrators who walked by their palatial property in St. Louis on Sunday. CJ, can you can you pull the video up and just play without the audio while, while I get into the story a little bit more here? Now, this this home is, is like, when I first saw it, I'm like, are they in front of their, I saw lawyers. I'm like, are they in front of like their fancy office building? It's like, no, that's their home. And, you know, good for them for being able to do that. And you look at this, like, giant freaking out. Uh, I love Maj Ture posted about this, and he said, now, I, I can weigh in on this, but I want to hear from you. What do you see right and wrong in terms of gun safety? What do you see right and wrong in terms of, of tactics? What do you see right and wrong in terms of fashion? And, yes, the, yeah, you look at this, and you're like, whoa. Now, this is a protest going by on the street, and these people think that they have to, in their residential neighborhood, defend their home like this. Now, the first question is, do they actually have to? Like, are these protests and riots requiring people to protect their property and to be vigilant if they have protests in the area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, now, is this an appropriate response? Absolutely not, for a lot of reasons. First of all, gun safety. Never point a weapon at anything you do not intend to shoot. And this muzzle, basic muzzle awareness. These people should be arrested for threat. Now, I don't know, should be arrested. I, I take that back. Should these people, no, no. But in, in a free society, there would still be serious consequences for someone who just, fla- it's called flagging in the military. You know, fl- is, this, is this a civilian term too? Fla- when you point a weapon, like, this is why you see people carrying rifles pointed down. They are angled towards the ground. So if you have, and it's, you you have a, a weapon that will poke holes in human bodies. You take, if you can take two or three precautions with that, you do. So you don't put a round in the chamber, first of all, at all, until you're ready to fire, right? Unless you have to walk around, you know, at the ready in a combat scenario, or, or you're hunting, you have a round in the chambers, you can draw on fire. But if you're not in a situation where you anticipate drying and fire, you don't have a round in the chamber. Um, you know, I mean, some people, and this is, this, is, this is a little more controversial. Some people will say, no, Adam, if you're carrying, like I used to open carry a revolver. There's six rounds in six chambers. So I get it. Some people decide, hey, you know what, for my personal protection carry weapon, I'm going to keep a round in the chamber. But you know what, if you're good with a gun, you don't have to. And it's better not to if you if you have a pistol. Because, and, and this is, I've done the the, six or five day defensive handgun course at front site in Vegas, highly recommend it. You can draw and chamber and present and safety off within a second. There's no real need tactically to have a round in the chamber and a holstered weapon on your hip. Okay. So what now do I know the status of these weapons in the video? No. Uh but they're 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 flagging they're just like pointing them around. They're being threatening. That is a threat. To point a weapon at a person is, is and there's a legal term for it. It's called brandishing. They are brandishing these weapons. Highly irresponsible. 
so they could be seen aiming the guns at, at demonstrators. So, and, and I love this is so hilarious. At one point, the pair seem to be unknowingly pointing their weapons at one another while trying to keep protesters away. You see that the husband, with his rifle, with his AR, horizontal, just turning around, like, going to the side, and he points it right at his wife's belly at one point, and you're like, these are people who, like, I don't want to say should not be allowed to own guns. They're on their own property. Need to be educated. Not, yeah, okay, need to be educated. Well, no, I, I go even further than that. Like, if you're living in a community like this where your property is, is butted up against other people, you're you're going to have some kind of special agreement or your land, your, your homes are that close. These people should not be allowed to own guns in a community like that. Like, if I was organizing a community, I would say, no, if you do this with a gun, your your gun rights are suspended. And it's not that your gun rights are suspended. It's your privilege of owning a gun in this communal property is suspended. Go buy your own land that you really own, and and then you can, uh, you know, then you, they're there when it's really your private property. There you have a right. To, to own and brandish and do whatever irresponsible things you want with your firearms. Khakis, pink polo, horizontal stripes on a woman. Uh, you know, they say the camera adds 20 pounds. Is it that or the top? Or is it just that she's hugely over, you know, irresponsible? See, like, I, I when Maj Chere posted this with the questions, I was like, you know, he said, you know, firearms, safety, right, wrong, legal, right, wrong, fashion, right, wrong. And I was like, Health and fitness, right? Wrong. I mean, these. If you have time to responsibly own a firearm, right? I think with like priorities, people to responsibly own a firearm means going out, buying it, maintaining it, maintaining your skills. I mean, if you really want to be super responsible, you know, you go to the, the the firing range like once a month, make sure that you're still competent in doing it. You can't you can't put the same energy into maintaining your your health as your security. Now, tactically, what would be appropriate here? You stay inside, you have a loaded gun on the table, and you look out the window, right? Someone comes to your property, you run out, and you're responsive defensive. You know, or I, but is that really, what's the, you know what the best defense in this situation is for these people? To stand out in front of their house, with a sign that says, I support Black Lives Matter. Instead of, I'm white and I'm afraid and I'm going to point a gun at you. These people both happen to be personal injury lawyers. You think they would know better. All right. So there's more fear in the streets right now to get into from sfgate.com. Detroit Police SUV plows through group of protesters, flings people who climbed on hood. Whoa! CJ, pull us up, please. Can we can we get the video on this? This is this is absolutely nuts. A largely peaceful protest in Detroit against systemic racism and police brutality turned violent on Sunday night as a police SUV plowed through a group of protesters, striking multiple people and sending a couple demonstrators who had climbed on the hood flying from the vehicle. Police accelerated the vehicle multiple times 
as dozens of protesters surrounded the SUV, according to videos of the incident posted to social media. After each acceleration, protesters could be heard shrieking in shock, pleading for the driver to stop, putting their foot on the gas while people were in front of the vehicle and being thrown from the hood of the car. As according to one person who's there reporting, 10 to 12 people were hit. The extent of the injuries remain unclear, but multiple people were injured and receiving treatment at local hospitals. Now, some people have been critical. Now, Jim brought, brought us great footage from the first round of Black Lives Matter protests inspired by George Floyd uh, a few weeks ago now. And crazy footage of people attacking police cars. And at the time, a lot of America was going, how dare you destroy that property? Well, that property is being used as a weapon, irresponsibly, unethically, to hurt and kill innocent people. And the footage you're looking at right now is actually not that unique except really in the quality of the footage and the directness of what this officer is doing. Because there have been multiple occasions in the last few weeks of similar incidents of police using their vehicles as weapons against protesters. So what does this tell you? Not just be afraid, be afraid to even speak out. To show up in the streets. And I know this might seem hyperbolic to say, oh, well, you have to be afraid to. Pro-. No, but if you've ever been to a protest with, with a significant crowd, and I've been to a lot, it's really easy to get pushed around. It's really easy to kind of get hurt into a crowd where you don't want to be. It's not like, hey, I'm going to walk this parade route. Everything's going to be safe. There's a starting rallying point and there's an end point. And then we're going to disperse. I'm just like any public event. No. Especially right now, especially with anti-police brutality protests being met with more police brutality. But that's not enough. From the Daily Star, terror groups aiming to deploy coronavirus spreaders for new jihad attacks. According to anti-terror cops in Russia, sick jihad groups are encouraging new members to spread coronavirus in public places. So many problems with this headline. Remember, the Department of Health and Human Services Secretary here in the United States said that we are about to be beyond the verge of even controlling this thing that we might as well just go for the herd of, well, he didn't say this, but the suggestion is that we might as well just go for herd immunity at this point. Get it out there. Like I said before, if, if, if it wasn't for the government right now and the restrictions on the medical industry, you could probably go into a doctor's office and say, give me the virus, I'm, I'm, you know, and they check to make sure you're healthy, that your odds of death are you know, in the in the 0.001% category, which is most of us already, and they, they inject you with the virus in such a way that, you know, you it, it's, it's not like a vaccine. It's like, but the to have the effect of a vaccine. Remember, a vaccine is 
and somebody correct me if I'm getting the science wrong, but they give you like a piece of the virus and it's DNA in a safe form and they inject it in you so that your body creates the antibodies so that if you then get exposed to the complete virus organism later, you've already got the antibodies, you're essentially immune, right? Well, with this, it's like the virus itself isn't that bad. Just give it to me so that I can wor- not ever worry about being a carrier ever again or getting it worse later. I mean, I, it, it, it's like chicken pox parties for kids. Get it while you're healthy. Because if this is a thing that's going around now, but it only kills elderly and immunocompromised and only at a rate of about the flu, then you want to get it while you're young and healthy. Now, don't don't take what I'm saying as medical advice, right? This, I have not done the conclusive scientific examination. You should go get this. But I, I'm saying, like, if it's possible to do it safely, like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to. And just my little Trump 40 chest strategy on this, he's secretly doing the herd immunity strategy by hosting rallies and making sure that his people are stronger than the Democrats, right? That the Republican wing of the Socialist Party has greater herd immunity than the Democrat wing of the Socialist Party. And so they get to go out with less fear in the future. If you say, well, I had and I got over it. It wasn't that bad. Well, now you can go out. I mean, you're, you're bulletproof. Remember, hypothetically, and this is always the caveat. I heard Dr. Fauci talking about this yesterday, and it's like, well, we don't know for sure, but the theory is if you get it and you get over it, you can't get it again. Remember there were these stories? They had to drop this. This was part of the narrative about corona like a month ago, until maybe about a month ago. Jim, do you remember this? You, you could get sick and then get reinfected. Nah. Nah. This virus isn't that special. But if we can associate it with terrorism, we can make you afraid. Now, we go to LMT online for our next story via the Washington Post, Sarah Kaplan and Joel Achenbach. Coronavirus mutation has taken over the world. Scientists are trying to understand why. Man, we should have titled today's show, I Told You So. because And, and this is, again, we talked about this months ago, that the natural course of any flu-like virus is to mutate and over time get less deadly and more contagious, right? You think about it, it makes sense. Because survival reproduction. Which virus is going to survive and reproduce? The one that kills the hosts? No. The one that is less deadly but more contagious. So that's the natural course when you see a new deadly virus appear, when that actually happens, whether this is qualifies as that, probably not. But anytime there's a new virus, the mutations over time tend to be to make it less deadly. But never mind the sensationalist headline, the mutation has taken over, the coronavirus mutation has taken over the world. Oh, well, excuse me. I have yet to pledge fealty to my new coronavirus global overlord who has taken over the world, uh, like Thanos. Really, scientists are trying to understand. And by the way, the sensational headlines. Jim, did you see this one for our home state of Arizona? Even on Drudge Report. Coronavirus races through Arizona. Races? Against Ebola? Is it, is it, is it H1N1 versus Ebola versus coronavirus? And who can get through Arizona the fastest? What? Like, you look, these 
in and of themselves, these these weird distortionary headlines, the sensationalism, like reveals what the agenda is. What are they trying to do? When the first coronavirus cases in Chicago appeared in January, they bore the same genetic signatures as a germ that emerged in China weeks before. That doesn't say identical because it had already mutated some, right? That's we, we saw. There's a chart somewhere of like all the different virus versions of Corona, and I what I predicted months ago was that there would be mutations, and then the mutations would be portrayed as new threats. They wouldn't be accurately presented as, oh yeah, this is what viruses do. They would be presented as, be afraid, be very afraid. So, but as Egon Ozer, an infectious disease specialist at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, examined the genetic structure of virus samples from local patients, he noticed something different. A change in the virus was appearing again and again. This mutation associated with outbreaks in Europe and New York eventually took over the city, but in by May, it was found in 90% of all the genomes Ozer sequenced. <clears throat> At a glance, the mutations seem trivial. About 1,300 amino acids serve as building blocks for a protein on the surface of the virus. In the mutant virus, the genetic instructions for just one of those amino acids, number 614, switched to the new variant from a D, shorthand for aspartic acid, to a G, short for glycine. But the location was significant because the switch occurred in the part of the genome that codes for the all-important spike protein, the protruding structure that gives the coronavirus its crown-like profile and allows it to enter humans, human cells the way a burglar picks a lock. And its ubiquity is undeniable. Of the approximately 50,000 genomes the new virus researchers worldwide have uploaded and shared to a database, about 70% carry the mutation, officially designated D614G, but more familiarly to scientists as G. G hasn't just dominated the outbreak in Chicago, it has taken over the world. Well, if it's it's if it's 70%, that's that's the new normal of the virus, isn't it? But does it cause any difference in how it behaves or what it does? At least not yet, except probably making it less deadly. And what would be nice is, you know, as it mutates, it becomes less deadly, but people still get the antibodies that might prevent them from contracting a more contagious version, but that's what's fading out. That's how viral evolution works. So, where is this going? What is the effect of this? Why is today's show titled The Fiscal Cliff? Well, remember when I talked about flattening the curve of tyranny, one of the possibilities that I projected is that it was just going to kind of, it was going to go up and then more or less continue flat. Now, I also predicted that it could come down in steps, right? And we've seen some of that. Here's what I didn't really predict in that, in that scenario where things stay flat. It steps down and steps up and steps down and steps up and reopening and reclosing. And this business can be open and that business can be open. And now they can and now they're closed and now they're shut down. And now you have to wear masks and now you don't. And here you do and there you don't. That's, so there's this like, it's, 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 a, it's not a jagged line of slopes. It's a, it's a series of steps up and down, up and down, up and down, but more or less continuous. 
And so it fits with that part of my prediction, at least, is that as long as government can keep, and the media and everybody else involved in the fear-mongering can keep that level more or less. In fact, but they don't want to keep it level, right? Because if they kept it level, they say, okay, we're gonna, here's the virus, here's the response, here's the lockdowns, here's the shutdowns, here's the economic manipulation, and it's flat, here it is, here's the new normal. People can fight that. People can adapt. People can make plans economically, logistically, travel plans, right? Business plans, employment plans, living plans. They can not do that when that line is fluctuating all the time. What about this? What about that? And all they have to do, and this goes to my prediction about the mutation, is that they were just going to use it either to, to ratchet up the fear or to be able to maintain the exploitation. And that's what happens. So what's the effect already? I mean, we've been talking about this for months now since Trump declared the national state of emergency, which is that there's there's a fiscal cliff coming. And, and it's in, in a way, we already fell off one, and that's the forced unemployment crisis. That's the, the artificial government-induced fiscal cliff where we saw unemployment skyrocket to the tens of millions of claims, more people than that suffering economically out of work. And that's really just the start of the economic crisis. That government-induced forced unemployment phenomenon is leading to another fiscal cliff. And that's the wave of evictions coming. But first, let's talk about food. From ZeroHedge.com, food bank lines reemerge as COVID paralyzes households. Since the COVID-19 pandemic began, food bank lines stretching for miles were seen across the United States have come to symbolize the financial destruction of households triggered by an abrupt closing of businesses and unprecedented job losses. Tens of millions of people lost their jobs and million more turned to food banks. The demand for food pantries was at record levels as the federal government deployed the National Guard to manage food supply chains to thwart disruptions. In March, April, and May, food bank systems nationwide reported unprecedented demands as millions of hungry, jobless, and broke Americans with insurmountable debts and no savings had no meaningful way of putting food on their tables. To be more specific, food security among households in San Antonio, Texas, was a huge issue resulting in more than 23 million pounds of food, serving 240,000 cars at drive through distribution, and 5,800 home visits was seen at the San Antonio Food Bank over the three months. During the period, retail sales bounced modestly after a stunning record decline, mostly because a quarter of all personal income was derived from the government. Essentially, what this means is that the Trump administration activated the money helicopters to avoid a total collapse of the U.S. economy via unemployment and emergency benefits, welfare checks, and so on. But, and this is from Hayek and Keynes, the long view on Twitter, quoted at Zero Hedge, 
Retail sales bounced back like a rubber band because of stimulus, Trump checks, PPE, UE bonuses. It's all over in a few weeks. And with the new uptick, we likely see at least six more weeks of contraction with no plug. The real hit starts now. Now, you don't need a plug. You need to withdraw the suffering creating this in the first place. Now, if you can't afford food, guess what? You probably can't afford rent. And one of the problems with government getting involved in the housing industry, same as with the education industry, is that prices have gone up artificially. You look at the cost of tuition. What happens when, well, we have to make sure that everybody gets college loans. Well, nobody works their way through college anymore. Colleges are able to charge as much as people will be able to get in their loans. Tuition goes way up, and then you end up graduating with insurmountable debt. Now, of course, that's all going to get wiped out with the dollar collapse. But until then, that debt has real consequences. And with housing, it's the same thing. The price of housing has gone up unrealistically because of government intervention. We need to make sure that everybody has a home. Well, when government does that, what's the opposite is the effect. And now we have a situation where we have more empty homes and we have homeless people in America, and we're about to have a lot more homeless people. And part of this is because that rise in uh, housing costs has led to a rise in rental costs, even more so than that. And what that means is that people who are poor, who tend to be renters more than homeowners, <clears throat> are paying more of their income on rent proportionally. And they lose their income. They're paying food. Now, we've heard that there's been a moratorium on evictions in a lot of places, right? That's great. Hey, you can't evict people because the government said so. Now, what is the effect of that? More force, right? You own a home. You're renting it. Or you own an apartment. You're renting it to people. Doesn't matter if that renter is now destroying your property, say, right? You can't evict them. You are forced to keep all of your tenants, even if that relationship shouldn't exist. So now a natural way of there being turnover, good people and bad people finding better housing situations, frozen. What's that effect going to have? Or what effect is that going to have? How about construction? Is anybody going to be, by the way, Remember, Jim, we covered, wasn't it last week? Now construction is being shut down. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the lockdowns, they said that construction was considered essential. Because, you know, dudes on a construction site, you can maintain distancing. Well, somehow they found an excuse we can shut down the construction industry now. Now, what we had with these in, in moratoriums on evictions did not include moratoriums on rent payments, which means that if you didn't make your rent but didn't get evicted, as soon as the moratorium is lifted, you're done. And the moratorium was just, in in most places, on going through with the evictions. Landlords all over the country have still been filing legal eviction notices for people not paying rent. 
So we go now to Reuters for a cash cliff spells trouble for U.S. unemployed and everyone else. Judith Ramirez is bracing for July. That's when the hotel housekeeper and her electrician husband, who have both been out of work for three months, expect their combined unemployment benefits to drop by more than half and their deferred $1,500 monthly mortgage payment on their Honolulu home to come due. Now, is, now owners, they're not really owners. They're, you know, I mean, they're, they're, it's kind of like rent to own, really. That's what a mortgage is. You don't really own that home. The bank owns that home. I mean, until you maybe you paid off the majority of it, they say, well, you have majority equity in the home. You're a, if you own less, than you're a minority stakeholder in that property. And you pay rent to buy and buy chunks of it as you go paying a mortgage. And it's just as bad. Well, I shouldn't say just as bad. But the wave of evictions is going to hit homeowners also, it's a cash cliff millions of Americans face this summer as the emergency benefits, which lifted U.S. consumer incomes by a record 10.8% in April, expired. The loss of that safety net looms in the weeks ahead well before a sustained recovery is likely to take hold from the sudden and deep recession brought on by the novel Now, again, the lies. Was the recession brought on by the coronavirus or the forced unemployment crisis? Personal income dropped 4.2% in May. The $600 supplement Congress added to weekly unemployment benefits is due to expire July 31st. Without new support, recipients face a substantial loss of income, particularly devastating for those like the Ramirez family who worked in hard-hit sectors like hospitality where new jobs are scarce. During high unemployment and a still-raging pandemic, the end-of-enhanced jobless benefits could drag on consumer spending, set off a wave of missed rent and mortgage payments, and translate to a slower recovery. That's a great concern for Rachel Fincham, 55, who lost her job at a national-based T-shirt printing company after 18 years. She has sought forbearance on her mortgage, but is worried about what will happen when the government programs run out. Benefits lifted spending. You look at the low income, uh, the scroll ahead to the chart in this one, please, CJ. Lift the spending. Spending by low income households recovered faster after the federal government began distributing stimulus checks in mid April. The expiration of enhanced unemployment benefits on July 31st could hit low income families the hardest. But, of course, what this points out is that this is artificial. They're spending more, but they're not producing more. They're not working. They're not creating value. They're what is now a government-created drain on the economy. And I don't mean to say, oh, you're a drain on the economy. No, but when you are unemployed and government is paying you to stay unemployed, you don't contribute if you're not. I know this is, this is really oversimplifying things, but you get the point, right? You're the overall effect of this is that demand and consumer uh, consumption levels are are going back up, but productivity is staying down. You don't think that's going to have consequences? So to New York, 
just to show you how they're using the fear and the economic manipulation to create more of a way that people are being controlled. The Daily Mail headline reads, New Yorkers will lose paid sick leave benefits if they travel to states with high COVID-19 infection rates, says Governor Andrew Cuomo. Employed New Yorkers will lose their paid sick leave benefits if they travel to states with high coronavirus infection rates under new executive order. Hey, you know how we're giving this thing, uh, giving you this thing that you need for your health? Well, if something unhealthy might happen to you, we're going to take it away. The order signed by Governor Cuomo applies to employed New Yorkers who voluntarily travel to states with infection rates of 10% or more. How do you determine what state has an infection rate of 10% or more? Do you believe those? Now, does this, is this creating a, again, the snake eating its own tail? Is this creating the incentive now for other states to be able to say, no, it's good, We're, our rates are low, so come New York tourists. Now, which are these states? You want to talk about the ones that we might be driving through to get to Florida? The states impacted, according to the latest COVID-19 data, are Alabama, Arizona, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, Nevada, South Carolina, Utah, and Texas. We would be driving through Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Mississippi, and Texas. States that are flagged for increased restrictions. That's where we're going. If we have to drive, like, can we drive to Florida? I don't know. Am I going to lose some benefits? Can they, they can do, apparently this is cool for government to do. Cool. They're getting away with it. Is there, you know, other consequences that you're going to face because of this? Now, rent is due in just a couple days here. Get ready. Happy Independence Day, America. July 4th is going to come with a wave of people not being able to pay rent. Yeah, I've heard, yeah, you got to be saved for a rainy day. you got to save up and, and, and be ready for a rainy Well, what about those of us who have and who have been ready? Well, don't worry. Government's going to steal from you and give to people who weren't prepared. And this might be the last chance. Really, everybody now on Earth needs to look at the second half of 2020 and go, this might be my last chance to be prepared, to get prepared. You have time to shift to a lifestyle like ours here at the Garden of Freedom. And live off grid. Be self-sufficient. You can get there, but this might be the last chance. Now, we've covered a lot of positive stories in this as well. And you know me as... America's favorite libertarian civil disobedience activist. I've been hugely encouraged by a lot of this. But there are just too many Karens out there. I don't think this... Oh, Jim, I want you to listen to this next story. You tell me if you think this is going to overcome the weight of the Karens of America. 
Santa Cruz County lifts beach closures. Quote, people are not willing to be governed from Yahoo.com via Los Angeles Times. And this is one of the stories that we got from our producer club super chat. I was very excited to see this one. And I wouldn't have gotten it anywhere else. This didn't come up in any of my other feeds. I only saw this because one of our patrons sent it to the group there. As California reported back-to-back record numbers of coronavirus cases this week among the, amid the continued reopening of the state, Santa Cruz County has decided to fully reopen its beaches, noting that the restrictions were becoming increasingly difficult to enforce. The county, which has upheld some of the state's strictest shelter-in-place guidelines longer than many other locales in California, will lift all beach closures at midnight, officials said. Until midnight, we'll still arrest people for going to the beach. Now, this is California. California's got enough contradictions. And by the way, keeping people in, in prison right now, for those who are elderly or immunocompromised, and that's a lot of them, might be kind of an unnecessary death sentence, if you believe the hype. I don't. But you are, and by the way, the government has been treating prisons and jails like there are these sealed things. We've even heard government officials say, well, they're kind of isolated communities, so we don't have to count them in our statistics for positive cases in our county because uh, if we did, we, we would we, our rates would be too high and we'd have to shut down more. And it's like, you just don't count those people? People don't count if they're what they're not human beings. Here's the reality: every single day in America, you have about two hundred thousand people going into jail and two hundred thousand people coming out. That's a lot of traffic, plus visitors, employees, all the contractors that work in jails. You are creating petri dishes where one inmate gets it. Within a short period of time, every inmate has it. And what are they doing for people who test positive in jail? Are they letting them out? No. Solitary confinement. What does this all lead to with the greatest contradiction we've seen from California recently? They are releasing sex offenders from jail. Convicted, pedophile, rapists, people who should be locked up or physically prevented from interacting with the rest of society are being released while people in California are being arrested for going to the beach. You go paddle boarding, come back to the shore, find yourself getting cuffed and dragged away with cops on either side of you and no social distancing being practiced whatsoever. Cops going out interacting with people are probably some of the greatest carriers in petri dishes for this. So, the current order closed beaches from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. for all activities except walking across the sand to enter the water. So people could still use the ocean for recreational purposes during that time. Like, wait a second. I I missed this part of the story before. So the beaches are closed except walking across the sand to enter the water. This is kind of like prohibiting dancing. You're allowed to walk here, but you can't do anything else. 
you can't sit. What if the beach is too far? You have to stop and sit down and catch your breath. Well, tough shite, old lady. You can't go to the beach then. Because you have to be able to walk straight across the beach into the water. So, beachgoers were also prohibited from picnicking, sunbathing, sitting or congregating in a stationary setting when the beach was open in the mornings and evenings, typically for walking or running along the shoreline. But residents have continued to ignore the rules. As Santa Cruz's health officer, Dr. Gail Newell, said Thursday, it's become impossible for law enforcement to continue to enforce the closures. People are not willing to be governed anymore in that regard. Of course, they took that out of the headline, right? And see, this is where libertarians get excited. We go, people are not willing to be governed anymore in that regard. The Karens of America are very willing to be governed. The county had intended to keep the beach restrictions in place until after the July 4th weekend, but efforts to enforce the closure have become increasingly more difficult. The county's current order is set to expire July 6th and will not be renewed. That means the county's directives will align with state orders. California remains in the latter portion of Stage 3 of its reopening plan, which is allowed for the reopening of gyms, bars, restaurants, and nail salons and most other businesses. Also tattoo parlors. Our friend Mimi Robeson, California State Chair of the Libertarian Party, just got a new tattoo. Congratulations. And uh, condolences to the owners of that tattoo shop. She got the very last tattoo in that shop. Why are they closing down post-corona? The business just isn't viable. How many people kind of like on the edge of getting a tattoo and then went, oh, I have to go and let somebody touch me. Never mind. Because of Corona. The wave of business closures is really just starting to hit. So Santa Cruz County's face covering mandate is still intact keeping with the new statewide requirement. And some other public health orders connected to facilities like skilled nursing homes will also remain. Children over the age of two will no longer have the option to wear a face covering. However, that will now be a requirement. Children over the age of two? What are you going to do? You have a two-year-old running around without a mask on? Well, you better tackle that mother fricker and, and, and wrestle them to the ground and put a knee on their neck and handcuff them so that they don't spread the virus. Hmm. As Newell said, this may seem stringent and difficult, but it has proven to be manageable in countries around the world. And, of course, they end this with the justification of the death. The county of 273,000 has recorded three deaths related to COVID-19. Three out of 273,000. More people have died in that county in car accidents during this time. And this is all they can talk about there. So, Jim, I mean, that's it for my big opener. Like, I, I, 
I think that's a pretty good overview of where we are, but where that leaves us now is it's the Karens of America versus the rest of us. Because the Karens are the ones who make it possible for this line to, to keep stepping up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and keeping things confusing. So, Jim, do you think we're going to win? Or the Karen, I mean, the Karens are winning this round. How do you convert a Karen? You know, a Karen, what's, should we look this up in the Urban Dictionary, to, to be precise? Right, find a Karen. Karen, Urban Dictionary. Because I don't, I don't want to be imposing my own definition here. So, UrbanDictionary.com slash Karen. The stereotypical name associated with rude, obnoxious, and insufferable middle-aged white women. Yep. Now, I, I would go. You know, I, I would be somewhat more expansive in my application here. I don't think you have to be white or a woman to be a Karen. There is certainly a legitimate association with that white woman demographic of being the scared busybodies. Karen's take everything wrong with a typical over-entitled Western woman and crank it up by several thousand percent. They are a mutated subspecies that descends from the soccer mom and have many of their traits, such as a short temper a crown bowl haircut, and a necessarily large SUV to take her kids to soccer practice and be a menace on the road, et cetera, et cetera. But parents have developed their own unique characteristics slash antics as well, including but not limited to reveling in making the life or of retail workers a living hell by constantly making a scene over nothing and demanding to speak to the manager, a near universal battle cry among parents. I demand to speak to the manager. I really should do that in a female voice, right? I demand to speak to the manager! That's a pretty good Karen voice, right? Get out of my park, you black people barbecuing, or I'm going to call the police! Put on your mask, or I'm going to report you! There, that's a good Karen I'm we're, Remember that one. I'm Karen, and I care about your health and safety! And that's why I'm calling the police to shut down this party. Threatening to sue someone for a minor misdemeanor they may or may not have committed and may or may not have even involved Karen at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, perhaps the future of the coronaphobia crisis comes down to the Cairns of America versus the rest of us. Now, if you've ever been married as a man to a woman, you know that the worst thing you can tell your wife is, calm down. Don't be... So, this is a, a major process that we have to go through to beat the Cairns with love and patience and compassion. Because that's how you beat fear. Truth, facts, logic, reasoning, driven by love and patience. And then we can overcome the phenomenon of 
the rule of the Karens. Now, is it really the Karens who have taken over? No, but they are the ones that government uses as the excuse for all of the evil that it conducts throughout the world in order to keep the Karens safe. Will the Karens, this new subspecies, choose to evolve back into sane human beings? We can hope so. Because I think that's what it comes down to right now in terms of our current crisis. It's the Karens of America versus the rest of us. I told you I had a long opener this morning, Jim. How's that for you? It's been a long weekend. I hope you like that. Was, that seemed like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. We covered a lot of good, uh, a lot of good topics on that one. Yeah, I, we're going to get into some more varied news stories here before we, we get to the end of the show. Here, we still got forty minutes to go. Any more comments? Any ideas? People want want a secret patron only after show today? Uh, they have not. They've been quite distracted, so they haven't answered that question yet. So let's have it. We want to see a patron-only show after the show. Uh, healthy disrespect for authority on the subject. He said, prediction, many libertarian women named Karen changed their name. Ah, yes! Oh, yes! Ah! Well, here's the thing. This, this phenomenon, like the, the Karen term, seems to have risen up relatively recently. And it's because there was a, I don't want to say a surge in the phenomena of Karenine. Right. Ooh. Did I just, did I just verb that? Verb, verbatize? Not verbalize, verbatize. I, I think I just made a new word with verbatize as well. Because you can't say verbalize like I made a verb out of something. That's actually a word. Right. But to verbatize something. Now, there's another word for to create a verb out of something, I think. Probably. But to Karen, he Karens, she Karens, they Karen, we are Karening. Merrily, we all Karen along together. Verily, verily, verily. Karen's out of here. <laughs> Jeremy Gooding was talking earlier. He said he wore a mask yesterday for the first time ever. Store wouldn't allow me in without it. After getting home, wrote the most dangerous virus is statism on it. Now he plans on wearing it outside all the time. The moving billboard he calls it. That's great. Yeah, if, yeah, no, something good to say on it. If yeah, you have to wear it. Yeah, no, and I so, so support that. And you know, and, and for people who are just in there, like for me, it's not a big deal. Like I, it wouldn't be worth it. But like Jim, do you remember the last time I left the property? Um, oh wait, just to get the bus, do the bus. Yeah. In Ashburg and back. Besides um, that, I had left the property for like two weeks. weeks. Yeah, yeah, I love that being able to be out here for long stretches and and be on my own land in the Garden of Freedom. And so I, I, I mean, Jim, are they requiring masks at the mobile station in in Ashford? Hell no. No. I mean, heck no. Excuse me, YouTube. Um, so. For me, it's but yeah. If you if you are out or like especially if you work in retail and you have to wear a mask for work, see what protests you can get away with. Because there are a lot of people who are going to see that mask. I mean, if you just write, you know, this is bullshit across. I'm sorry, this is bullshit across your mask. Excuse me, YouTube. Um, 
I mean, what would be what would be a sort of more benign thing that you could? What did he say he was going to write on his government? The, uh, the most dangerous virus is statism. The most dangerous virus is statism. Pretty pointed. I almost would change. There's a lot of words. Government, but that's even bigger of a word. Yeah, I don't wonder what would be the best thing if you're because you can't put something that your employer is going to say. You can't yeah, do that, but like. Could, could 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 an employee fight mask censorship? Like you're going to force me to wear a mask. You can't force me to not say something with it. You cover my mouth. You can't make me cover my speech. I bet a lot of employers would back down at that point. And and remember, on what it says. What what why are employers doing this? It's not really by their choice. Even when in and of itself, it is by their choice. It's because. They go out of business if they lose the chunk of their customers who are going to be afraid to come into their stores if people aren't forced to wear masks, or at least if the employees aren't wearing masks. So uh, any other good comments or ideas for after shows or things like that? I'm still waiting on the after show ideas. Healthy disrespect for authority with one more. We need a boy name for the male Karen. Well, the thing is, it is... And there are male Karens, but it is, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's already, yeah, you can already call a man a Karen. Right. Um, and and I, I don't think you do, because it really is a uniquely female phenomena of, of busybodying that we see today in, because I, I, I would say overall, fear is on the decline over human history along with violence. Right, you think of the state of nature. You're constantly afraid of death by starvation, diseases that you don't understand at all, of predators in the wild, of injury. Like today, you don't have to worry, you know, about breaking a leg. You go to the hospital, it's going to get patched up. I mean, yeah, it sucks. Don't get me wrong, but like you're more or less okay. State of nature, you break your leg, that might mean you die. Because now you can't get food or defend against a predator or whatever the case may be, right? So overall, fear. There's a surge in fear now. That is, and and remember, women respond to fear differently than men. And I think the kinds of fears that we are experiencing today are leading to a uniquely female-driven phenomena of busybodiness. Now, I am. Totally biased by my selection of YouTube clips that I've been able to watch over the last few weeks or months, really, and, and seeing this creep up. But this is this is older than Corona. I, I made the reference like the, you black people barbecuing in a park. That was oh. because the woman called the police on them and they had a right to be there and was freaking out trying to get them to leave. So the, the the male equivalent I hear now is like the Chad, and it's more like the frat boy. They're di- but the, no, it's a it, it, and it's it's better to just use the term Karen. And when men are being fear mongering busybodies, you call them Karens. It, and a pro, it is it is entirely uh, appropriate and fitting and of a positive overall effect to emasculate them and say, really, dude. Really? Did the did the coronavirus take your balls? Like what? What? Like, so no. 
Um, any other comments before we get to our next handful of news stories here? Uh, no, let's move on while I gather a couple more. All right. From the American conservative, Trump escalates killer drone war and no one seems to care. There's no evidence that it's improved anyone's security in the Horn of Africa or in the U.S. America's drone wars have become even more destructive at the same time. They have become increasingly opaque. The Trump administration has significantly increased the tempo of drone strikes in a number of countries, and it has relaxed the rules governing the targeting of these strikes. The result has been an increased number of civilian casualties with even less accountability than before and no redress for the innocent people caught in the middle of our endless wars. The U.S. government restricts the information that is publicly available about these attacks, and that in turn ensures that there is very little public scrutiny or criticism of an open-ended military campaign. To make matters worse, the additional strikes seem to have done nothing to reduce the activities of al-Shabaab, and instead the threat posed by the group is greater than before. The drone war in Somalia is just one part of this campaign, and it exemplifies what is wrong with the open-ended war on terror. Like the other wars he inherited, President Trump has significantly escalated it. Through the end of 2019, there had already been 148 U.S. strikes launched in Somalia since Trump took office. In just the first half of 2020, there have been as many U.S. drone strikes in Somalia as there were between 2007 and 2016. In less than three and a half years, Trump has more than quadrupled the number of attacks in Somalia ordered by his last two predecessors. Now, this is something that, that I predicted, right, that in the shift of war, looking at what governments can get away with, right, that we are living in the most peaceful times in human history. Less people die by violence than ever before. This is the story of human progress, this great decline in violence. And if you look just at the global war of terror, there was already a significant shift. And even even Vietnam, right? You just look at World War II, Vietnam, global war on terror. In World War II, they could say, look, all those people there want to kill you. We have to send all of our best and brightest over there to go and kill them. And they could put out the lies that could convince millions of gullible young men to meet in the middle of a field where none of them live and kill each other because they're wearing different colors. You can't get away with that lie anymore. Even in Vietnam, right, which is maybe the last America had to somewhat of a major, large, force-on-force scale war, except for the invasion of Iraq and the invasion of Afghanistan. And this was of a, of a much larger scale, of course. It was that's the communists. We had to fight the communist regime. regime. It, was all, it, was, it was a proxy war, right? So in Iraq and Afghanistan, they couldn't say, though, we need to go destroy these countries. It was, we need to take out the corrupt governments and occupy them and, you know, that, that sort of thing. And it's less destructive overall. Now, what happens when you can have robots fight your war for you? Well, that's what we have today. They're called drones. They're robots. They're flying robots that kill people from the sky. I don't, I don't know. I, 
What else did, you, did it have to look like Terminator for you to get it that we're there already? I hope not. No, we're already there. And there's a sort of asymmetry in the power where American uh, military forces have this incredible technology where the terrorists don't. And when you are capable of this surgical strike, right, you can't justify sending in troops, which would be worse, which would be more costly, more dope. So this is still a decline in the viciousness of the war racket. Eventually, hopefully, it'll go to, well, when you have a conflict, you have your robots fight their robots and nobody gets hurt. Still a positive development. Overall, where is this going? I don't know. Is it going to, is, is, I mean, overall, long term, I know where it's going. It's going to keep declining. The viciousness of war will continue to get lower and lower as humanity continues to progress. So we go now to foreignpolicy.com. Trump inherited the drone war but ditched accountability. Only a single formal check remains on U.S. killings worldwide. License to kill, our murderer-in-chief can just drop bombs on anybody all over the world. What stops him? On March 10, a U.S. drone fired a missile, turning a passenger vehicle just outside Janali, Somalia, into a heap of burnt and broken metal with fresh corpses inside. Whether the people killed that day were terrorists or ordinary Somalis is actively disputed. It is also a reminder that the United States targeted killing program persists to this day, another legacy of the forever war that has now lasted for three presidential administrations and shows no signs of stopping in the next one. Under U.S. President Donald Trump, however, an already opaque and murderous set of rules has become even more widely applied and even less accountable. Now, this goes back, way back. The elastic nature of the September 2001. 2001. What happened in September of 2001, Jim? Oh, yeah, never forget 9-11. That way we can use it as an excuse for militarism as long as you remember how bad it was and not what really caused it. The elastic nature of the 2001 authorization for the use of military force is stretched so far as to cover strikes in Yemen, Libya, and Somalia. The first modern drone attack, a Hellfire missile fired from a CIA pilot predator drone in October 2001, was covered by the AUMF, as was the airstrike in Janali, conducted by U.S. Africa Command, itself born in the dying years of President George W. Bush's administration as part of the War on Terror. In a press release also published March 10, AFRICOM claimed that its attack on Janali killed five terrorists. Shortly after, images of the wrecked vehicle began to circulate online. Some linked to al-Shabaab, the terror group, actively targeted by the strike, claiming that instead it had left only civilians dead. Subsequent investigations by journalists found relatives of the deceased to attest to the innocence of their family members. As of April 27, AFRICOM reports the incident is still open and under investigation. Now, we brought you the story earlier today that there were terror groups attempting to spread the coronavirus, at least according to government sources. Now, if Trump can order a drone strike on any terrorist, and terrorists are trying to spread the virus to you, 
Could they hit you with the drone? Or hit the terrorists with the drone? And, oh, well, we had to take the other person out because they had the coronavirus too. Now, this might be a stretch. I don't think that's really realistic. But if they can say you're a terrorist for trying to spread the virus, could they call you a terrorist for going to Walmart without a mask on? If maybe you knew you had tested positive, maybe maybe you posted on social media that you had the sniffles or that you had the runs, because now those are those are official symptoms of the coronavirus. And then you go to a Walmart without a mask. Well, you're terrorizing people. You're causing fear. Now, are we going to have a drone strike on an American on U.S. soil? Oh, highly unlikely. But an American abroad? Now, I know what you're thinking. Adam, that's just as much of a stretch, too. Why would American military forces think it's okay to kill an American civilian uh, just just because they're not in the United States. Well, it's already happened. Who was it? There was a cleric. It was a Muslim cleric who was a U.S. citizen. I used to know the name because it was an important story in looking at the global war on terror. All right, Jim's going to look it up here. And then they killed his son, who was also an American citizen. And you go, wait a second. Maybe you're not too far off here, Adam. But why should you care more that American lives are at risk? Because it's probably not you. As opposed to foreigners' lives being at risk from the same unjust violence of the U.S. military. So what is the uh, what is the uh, restriction here? As with many policies enacted by executive order under the Obama administration, the rule held the weight of law for only so long as an administration decided it wanted to follow it. Without passing the accountability into law through the legislative branch, the order did nothing to meaningfully constrain the actions of the next president. So where does this go? What is the actual restraint? Skipping ahead, skipping ahead, skipping ahead. A report by the Stimson Center in February found that in addition to changing how it used battlefield designations, the Trump administration rolled back a host of Obama-era drone policies. That meant relaxed restrictions on exports of drones and laser designators, relaxed oversight on military drones sold abroad, greater authority for both military commanders and the CIA in choosing to attack targets, and removing the reporting requirement for casualties outside of designated battlefields. The rollback of transparency measures itself was opaque and barely covered, a pattern that would continue in the way the Trump administration handled the killings. A single formal check remains on the secrecy surrounding drone killings. While Congress has long handed broad discretion on war power authorities to the executive, 
The 2018 National Defense Authorization Act for the first time mandated that the Pentagon submit annual reports on confirmed or suspected civilian casualties by U.S. military operations. So, now what's the exception here? Oh, well, anytime the military feels that releasing that information would compromise security or secrecy of, of, of their operation, then, then they don't. There's a loophole through this that you could drive a Mack truck through. So what is it really? Unless there's obvious outrage, what is the only accountability here? Public outrage. Al-Awlaki. Did you find it? Uh, Anwar Al-Awlaki. That guy. Anwar Al-Awlaki. Was the Muslim there? What was his son's name? You have the the Wikipedia Uh, story there? Yeah, it was uh, Abdullah. Abdul. It's A-B-D-U-L-R-A-H-A-L. Abdullah. Okay. So his son was, what, a young teenager and was also killed with a a drone strike. Because they were Muslim and they were outside of the United States. Being American citizens did not protect them. And there was huge outrage. Did anything change? Apparently not. Certainly not in any meaningful way. If anything, the government just said, we need more of this power. And they took it. And now, no one is safe. Donald Trump has a license to kill from the skies, with the only check on that being public opinion. And right now, public opinion is pretty messed up. Of course, you know we had to cover this story from the Associated Press. Supreme Court strikes down Louisiana abortion clinic law. A divided Supreme Court on Monday struck down a Louisiana law regulating abortion clinics, reasserting a commitment to abortion rights over fierce opposition from dissenting conservative justices in the first big abortion case of the Trump era. Chief Justice John Roberts and his four more liberal colleagues ruled that the law requiring doctors who perform abortions have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals, violates the abortion rights of the court first announced in the landmark Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. The Louisiana law is virtually identical to the one in Texas, and the court struck down in 16, but Roberts, who had dissented in that case, did not join the opinion written by Justice Stephen Breyer for the other liberals in Monday's decision, and his position left abortion rights supporters more relieved than elated. The Chief Justice explained that he continues to think the Texas case was wrongly decided, but believes it's important for the court to stand by its prior decisions. Do you, do you hear how dumb that is? Well, we know it's wrong, but since we did it yesterday, we're just going to do it again today because we did it yesterday. And that, that's the only reason. Crazy, right? Now, as to the particulars of this, the law requiring that doctors who perform abortions have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals, 
they're just creating an extra burden in the medical industry for a certain procedure, making it harder because, you know, we we want to fight this. And, and, and I'm sure the law is written in a way to minimize abortion. That's the point. So the regulations at issue in Louisiana are distinct from other state laws making their way through court challenges that would ban abortions early in pregnancy. Those include bans on abortion. Once a fetal heartbeat is detected as early as six weeks and the almost total ban passed in Alabama. We all know this is a divisive wedge issue, but it's not just that. It's people who use this issue to feel good about themselves while not doing any good kind of slacktivism. Well, I'm I'm pro-life, therefore I support Republicans, or I vote for conservatives. I only, it's my litmus test. If you're not a pro-life politician, and they spend so much time on the political side of this. And because you know that they could actually be preventing or minimizing or making abortions less likely with plenty of charity work, supporting single mothers, supporting adoption, making it possible for people to uh, women to carry out their pregnancies with, with, with the support of the communities around them. Instead of doing things like that, they're doing this political shit. These aren't people who care about abortion. These are people who are so insecure in their worldviews that when they see babies being killed, they turn to politics. Disgusting, isn't it? Now, their next story is one that CJ wanted me to cover. This is from three days ago from Bitcoin.com, specifically news.bitcoin.com. Over one billion dollars in Bitcoin options set to expire. Crypto speculators expect massive shakeup. So, what shakeup have we seen since then? Bitcoin has gone up in price. Cryptocurrency markets and Bitcoin price stability might be coming to an end. Oh, shoot, I'm having problems with this story. Um, not just, oh, here we go. As a number of skeptics and speculators expect a big move after today's options derivatives contracts expire, Bitcoin prices have been less volatile during the last three weeks. But over 114,000 Bitcoin options with a national value of over $1 billion are set to expire on Friday, June 26th and could change that trend. Traders are eyeing Bitcoin derivative contracts that are set to expire at the end of the training at the time of the writing. BTC is swapping for $9,249 per unit and has a $170 billion market valuation. How much has that changed? Not much. According to Bitcoin.com today, uh, Bitcoin BTC is trading for $9,190. So a drop of just about $60 from Friday. The entire market capitalization of all five thousand plus crypto assets is around 263 billion cool number perspective here right 263 billion dollars is the valuation of all crypto assets right now hovering 170 billion of that still the majority uh, i guess that makes it over two-thirds or uh yeah just over two-thirds is still the original btc this week, traders and crypto market analysts have been focused on watching the options contract set to end today. 
The researchers from Arcane Research recently recently published a report and discussed the Bitcoin options issue. So, quote, close to $1 billion in Bitcoin option contracts will expire on June 26, accounting for 60% of the total open interest in the BTC options market. In situations like this, there could be significant financial incentives to move the spot price towards a certain level before the expiration. The options expiry, I, I hate to use that word. Is that, is, that, is that a British term? Expiry is in short for expiration. It just sounds so awkward. It's almost like the hipster term for expiring. The options expiry of over a billion dollars in notional value is the largest expiration of its kind in a number of carriers. Believe that it will trigger a big move. Data from SKU's analytics show between Deribit, backed OKEX, CME, and LedgerX, there's well over $1.8 billion in open interest for options. Uh, and so this is people who want to make bets. These, these derivatives, these options like puts, um, are part of what we see as a more developed financial ecosystem around Bitcoin and crypto as people with more resources step in to try to manipulate things. And it, it looks like the effect was not significant. Um, and and I'm, I'm just really excited to see that the fundamentals of crypto are strong. That, you know, none of these, you know, when people expect, you know, these, these major swings, they don't really happen based on, the derivatives around Bitcoin because you know the fundamentals are strong. So, I mean, I'm gonna pull. CJ, do you want to do you want to talk about crypto for a while here? Why don't you come up on screen here? We've, we've got a few more quick stories to cover, but you know we have a little bit of time, and I want to see if uh, I'm gonna pull up the the market, you know the the uh, the chart for Bitcoin for for the last three days, you know, see if there was any major swing here. But uh, you know, I, I, CJ, you you haven't ever been involved with Bitcoin, have you? No, actually, I don't own any digital currency. Uh, the only currency that I do have digital comes from the federal government uh, through the form of the Veterans Affairs. That I can turn into paper cash. I guess I could also turn it into some form of digital currency. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I tried to have my brother-in-law uh, Nathan explain it to me here on on how it kind of works, and everything led me down, well, he'd say something, then I'd ask a question, and then he'd say something, and I'd ask a question, and eventually it got to the point where I'm like, yeah, this is why people just stick to the Federal Reserve dollar, because at some point I'm sure there's a salesman selling me something. So I guess I just don't understand the concept of, and I was playing that devil's advocate, because like I truly would love to get into it, but I have no idea what it actually is. All right, so Jim, are, are you kind of in the same boat there? Uh, with crypto specifically? Yes. Well, I've been dabbling a little bit more lately. I have a, uh, not the name drop or whatever, but I have an account with an investment portfolio in it that I've been dabbling in. Uh, like Bitcoin has gone, uh, on the 22nd, it was at 9600 and it's been dropping since then. But I, I don't know too much into the the news behind it, and I can't predict what it's going to do. I don't, I don't know that much yet. Either. All right. Well, then I think what this calls for 
is a Bitcoin special episode of Adam versus the Man. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll call like it, going going yep. to crypto school. Yes, exactly. So we're gonna start. We're gonna I, I, maybe maybe Wednesday. Well, let's let's do let's set this for next week. We'll get my friend Roger Varon, uh, who's behind Bitcoin.com and Bitcoin Cash. Uh, we'll, we'll get, you know, we'll even have a debate. We'll get a roundtable going now that we can do this on uh, with, with StreamYard. It'd be really cool to see someone like Roger, who is advocating a specific form of Bitcoin versus a Bitcoin maximalist versus a general champion of altcoins. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of hate in that space, by the way. Uh, as you can imagine, a lot of people with a lot of money invested, a lot of individual small investors. Some thinking they're getting screwed by this or that manipulation. And and CJ, you're right. There is a lot of scamming around crypto. Right. Um, but that's, well, see, here's my question: How does it? How do I turn crypto into 1919 root beer? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we can get. Excuse me. We can answer that question. It's pretty easy, actually. There's a lot of ways that you can spend Bitcoin directly on root beer or convert it to another currency. Uh, first, if you need to, but we'll get into that. We, I think, I'm thinking next Wednesday, maybe we'll plan next Wednesday. Let's start booking some guests. Um, I'll reach out to Roger Ver and uh, a couple other people. It's, if if uh, there are any requests for guests for that show, people who, who in the crypto space who you would recommend, um, I've got a plenty of other friends who uh, would would love to join us for that. But uh, yeah, I think we'll, we'll have. So we'll do an intro. With Adam introduces Jim and CJ to Bitcoin properly from the ground up, and then uh, and then we'll bring on some guests to answer the questions that I can't answer, and then we'll have a roundtable. It'll be a lot of fun. That sounds like a great show. We'll plan on next Wednesday for that. Okay, uh, any quick comments before I get to our last uh, few news stories here? Uh, well, let's see. Awake had mentioned. Or excuse me, Bill Baggins on YouTube. This was earlier. The mask drop oxygen availability is 17.5 percent. I was trying to find some studies on that, but I couldn't. But he says OSHA says anything under 19.5 percent is oxygen deprivation. Yeah. So I, there's a there's a video that someone sent me where there's a guy with like an OSHA oxygen level test, and he puts it on the corner of his mouth and breathes and goes, oh, it's 21 and a half, and that's normal. And now he, he puts his mask on and puts it under his mask, and he's breathing and goes, oh, look, now it's only, you know, 18-something. And, and then it goes, that's not safe for extended periods. I don't know if that's true with a bandana. What is, oh, what is that? It's an oxygen reader. CJ has a – why do you have an oxygen reader, CJ? Got to be prepared, man. So this morning I did my whole broadcast wearing this mouth nut cup here or whatever to get <laughs> my spittle, and I checked my oxygen levels here uh, before, during, and after to see what my oxygen level was after an hour of wearing this mask. And I am sad to report that my oxygen level increased during that hour. And, and I, again, admittedly, this wasn't an eight-hour test. Uh, well, but hold on a second. When you're saying, wait, what, what are you measuring with this oxygen meter? The oxygen level in my blood. Oh, it's your blood oxygen. Okay, that's different. Right. So your blood oxygen can go up for a whole host of other factors. So wait, why do you have a blood oxygen meter? 
Well, my my fiance works in a hospital, and uh, these are just common devices. And I asked if uh, she had she one. She has one. No, she did not. She tactfully acquired. No, I don't know how she got it. I think she actually bought this. These are pretty cheap, actually. Yeah, it makes sense. World. Okay, then probably a lot of people with with diabetes and other chronic health conditions who want to be able to monitor things like that yeah. more reliably, right? right. I don't think people oxygen. care about oxygen, but yeah, yeah. This so what this guy was actually measuring was the oxygen under the mask, like the amount of oxygen coming in. It's because you're breathing out CO2, and that CO2 is kind of pooling around your mask, and then when you right, breathe Right, but in, eventually that's going to affect your blood oxygen levels. Yeah. And, Not and necessarily. You're, you might be retaining more oxygen. Interesting. There's there's too all many right. conflating factors when you go to my... I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's no, all... It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation, to say the least. Yeah. So, the idea is that if you wear a mask, you're inhaling less oxygen. Your breathing is impeded. And and that makes sense. If you do it for extended periods, you're gonna, you, you, if you're sensitive to slightly lower oxygen levels, that, that can mess you up. Um, yeah. All right. So, to our next story... We go to CNBC.com. Trump fans are flocking to the social media app Parler. Its CEO is begging liberals to join them. Parler's user base has grown to 1.5 million from 1 million in about a week, CEO John Matz has said. Republican politicians and conservative pundits have flocked to the app in large part to protest what they say is unfair censorship by Twitter. If you can say it on the street of New York, you can say it on Parlor. What can't you say on the street in New York? But then there are things that you can't say on the street in New York that would get you arrested there, especially if you're talking to a cop. Jim, Jordan, Elise, Stefanik, and Nikki Haley all have something in common other than a strong affection towards President Trump. The three Republican politicians joined social media earlier this week, adding their profiles to a site that's emerged as the new digital stomping ground for anti-Twitter conservatives. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas arrived earlier this month, and Representative Devin Nunes of California started in February, while Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky has been a member since 2018, the year the app launched. Well, just to be clear, these are people who have been able to hire someone to do it for them and broadcast their content on that platform. None of these people actually engage with the plebes directly on social media. That's not part of their repertoire. Uh, so, to be fair, Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale has also been on Parler since 2018. Eric Trump, the president's son, and his wife, Laura, joined on the same day last month. Like Twitter, the app lets users share comments, photos, and news stories of their followers. The catalyst for the latest growth surge was a story from the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday which said that the Trump administration was looking for alternatives to Facebook and Twitter over concern that more content is going to be blocked as the election campaign heats up. The journal named Parler is a possible alternative. So just a heads up, if you want to uh, to look into uh, what's going on here, check out Parler. That's like the word Parler, but with an E. I don't know if this – see, I'm kind of I'm, – I'm not, I'm not ready to jump in. Yeah, people. People told me, "Hey, go to Gab. That's where the conservatives are going because tw- they're getting when they're getting censored on Twitter." But Gab, and, and has Gab taken off? Yeah, but it hasn't really become 
you know, dominant in, in any kind of meaningful way enough that it, it would make me want to switch over there. I don't like Twitter censorship any more than anybody else, but I'm not convinced that any of these platforms are going to be significantly better. Remember, Twitter for the first years of its existence had zero censorship or some somewhere near that, whereas it got worse over time. Same thing with Facebook. I mean, when Facebook started, certainly the earlier of Facebook when it was campus networking, I don't remember any kind of censorship or this kind of, you know, information manipulation, but definitely a story worth keeping an eye on. From The Guardian, the secret government agency planting cyanide bombs across the U.S. Now, this sounds like a really overhyped headline. This sounds extremely sensational, but it is actually entirely accurate. Wildlife Services kills thousands of animals at ranchers' and farmers' behests, but it operates with little oversight and critics describe it as out of control. Of course, the story starts with a tragedy. The call came over Tony Manu's police radio one March day in 2017. Some sort of pipe had exploded in the hills outside of Pocatello, Idaho, and the son of a well-known local doctor was hurt or worse. Manu, a longtime detective with the county sheriff's office, was shot. A pipe bomb in Pocatello? We were like, holy shite. I can't, I can't even quote the guard. I'm censored on YouTube more than the Guardian censors itself. He hit the gas and screeched up winding mountain roads outside of town. I thought maybe the victim was missing a leg or something. That's what it sounded like. At the home of Dr. Mansfield and his family, he found a frightening scene. On the driveway just outside the sprawling timbered house, the family's dog, Casey, was dead. Inside the home, Canyon Mansfield, 14 years old, the youngest of three children, was sobbing. His head was pounding and his eyes were burning, he needed to go to the emergency room. Manu soon pieced together the story. While playing in the woods behind the family home, Canyon and his dog had stumbled upon a strange device that sprayed them in the face with a dose of sodium cyanide. The boy managed to quickly clean the poison out of his eyes, but the dog collapsed and started convulsing. As Casey lay dying on the hillside, Dr. Mansfield had wanted to give Casey CPR, but Canyon told him that if he did, he'd ingest the deadly stuff himself. So it didn't take him long to figure this out. It wasn't a rogue actor or a terrorist cell. No, it had been installed by a federal employee on official business. As Canyon's mother, Teresa, said, the United States government put a cyanide bomb 350 feet from my house and killed my dog and poisoned my child. Three years later, there's still an illegal battle to ban the use of cyanide bombs and to get justice. Now, if you haven't heard of this, you're not alone. Wildlife Services has operated for years in relative obscurity with limited oversight from Congress or the public. Part of the Department of Agriculture, the agency works on behalf of private ranchers and farmers killing coyotes, wolves, bears, birds, and other creatures that cause problems for agricultural interests. In 2018, the, they, it exterminated nearly a million and a half native animals 
and a huge number of invasive animals as well. Now, first of all, you go, wait a second, I thought, I thought this was a capitalist country. But we have socialized animal control on top of socialized retirement, security, welfare, defense, military. And how, how socialist are we, America? Let me count the ways. Nope, sorry, not going to. Have you seen how many federal laws there are? The paper stacks are just insane. No, of course not. Can you count out the ways in which America is socialist? So now, so we have an agency that sometimes its agents, its agents shoot wolves or coyotes from helicopters. I mean, if you like murdering animals, sounds like a fun job, you know. If you want to relive the glory days of being a door gunner at Vietnam, how in the hell is this the most efficient way to do what they're actually doing here? And, of course, why is it possible that they're killing people? Why are they using cyanide bombs instead of, oh, sometimes leg traps and snares? M44s also known as cyanide bombs, are baited in spring-loaded tubes that spray an orange plume of cyanide powder when triggered, aimed at coyotes and other canids that predate livestock. They killed 6,500 animals in 2018 alone, if they're, if they're counting accurately, that is. Now, Congressman DeFazio from Oregon, a longtime critic of the agency, said, quote, I served on the Homeland Security Committee for a decade, and wildlife services, so-called, is more opaque than some of our intelligence agencies. Basically, in some cases, it's rogue. They've been around for essentially a century, have 2,000 employees totally decentralized. State offices like the one in Idaho basically run themselves with little transparency or accountability. Even local law enforcement agents are sometimes unaware of the extent of the agency's activities in their jurisdiction. Now, this is why we need to end qualified immunity. Do you think the government agent who planted that cyanide bomb is going to be held accountable for killing a dog and poisoning a child? No, of course not. He absolutely or she should be. Now, you're saying, but Adam, if that was the case, no one would work for government. Yeah. And as Jim pointed out earlier today, if you're a cop in America and someone is saying, hey, we should end qualified immunity so that if you murder someone on the job or hurt someone or steal something, you should be held accountable. And you oppose that? What you are saying is, I'm only a cop so that I can get away with criminal acts. This is not a product of the market. This is a product of government. It's really simple. Stop socializing animal control. If it was a product of the market, and someone did this, the company doing it would get shut down, not last for a hundred years. M44s continue to be used in roughly a dozen states across the nation, 
and the Trump administration is opposing reform. In December 2019, the EPA reauthorized the use of cyanide bombs nationwide. Canyon's law, after the boy who was poisoned, is, surprise, surprise, currently stalled in Congress. But in an era of rising environmental consciousness, many advocates feel that public sentiment is shifting away from the sort of lethal predator control practices that wildlife services embodies. And public sentiment is the key to reforming such an agency. As Faye said, the Mansfield case was the game changer, the tipping point. Canyon Mansfield still sometimes feels sad and guilty over the loss of Casey. He gets the occasional crippling migraine as well as a strange numbness in his hands that he never experienced before his exposure to sodium cyanide. But as he prepares to head to college next year, he's certain his family will prevail. As he said, we're going to find a way to keep wildlife services up at night until we get this done. Well, for me, getting this done would be complete accountability and a qualified immunity for all government agents and all jobs and the ability of the American people to hold individuals accountable, regardless of their government employment status. Are we going to get there? Probably not under this federal government. It is going to take localization. It is going to take a breakup of the United States. It is going to take more significant change than reform to end this phenomena of qualified immunity because really that's the whole point of government as we know it isn't the rich get richer the poor get poorer and the people who commit the crimes that make that possible through government are not held accountable all right to wrap things up today you know what we have i'm going to save this we're going to do a little patron only after show by the way let's see my screen's frozen here let's see if i can get it back I was going through the whole time, right? Yeah. Streamed it. Yeah, it's just uh, finally. All right, there we go. A little stream yard work solved or fixed. So from the Daily Beast, Sasha Baron Cohen pulls epic prank on far-right militia event. Sound familiar? Borat comes to America, the scene at the rodeo, singing the national anthem. Yeah. I think we're going to wait to play this video till we're in the uh, in the private chat or private show here. Another fun little story. World's most fertile woman with 44 children she's raising alone stopped from having more. This is a woman in Uganda. It's the first set of twins she had when she was 13 after her husband walked out. She's been raising her massive brood alone. 44 kids. Wow, she's 41. Uh, now, anyway, fun quirk of a story. If you want to get into that, it'll be in the links. With that, let's uh, let's go to the comments and then put a bow on this thing. And I'll I'll just smoke some not drugs off camera while you yeah, do that. Too. Well, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. Just for YouTube, I don't want I don't want you know YouTube. I don't want the Karens of YouTube to to be frightened by um, by my tobacco usage. Fire. Yeah, or by the fire. Any so what? Any good comments? Any good ideas for for our Transition to Patreon. Uh, we haven't had a single person come up with an idea for a transitional. 
Really? So I'm, we're going to have to reword that tomorrow. I think I butchered it when I... Maybe, maybe it was too much of an inside baseball kind of question. Like, hey, you yeah. produced the show for us. Yeah. You figure it out. No, it's like, all right. But I, we, we just want to do all yeah. of the developments. Yeah. We want to make sure that, especially for our patrons who are paying for the show, that, uh, that they get what they're paying for and they get what they want. And, uh, yeah, it, we're a business. I'm an activist, but this is an activism business. We are in the business of fighting injustice by spreading the truth. So, Jim, any other good comments to share? Uh, well, Michelle believes that they're never going to give up the qualified immunity. So, basically what you yeah. said, we're not going to get it while we're still under this. Yeah, in this concept of government. Right. Not until it's it's localized. Because when it's local, I mean, I, I, and you hear, you remember my talking points in the campaign, when government is localized, it's customized, transparent, and accountable. And and I think eventually at the community level, you cannot you can't externalize responsibility. Excuse me. Like with a police department today, qualified immunity means that the city pays for the damages if you successfully sue after being wronged by the cop. You privatize the criminality to that individual cop and you socialize the consequences, the losses that the taxpayers pay for it, not that cop. And by the way, you know, I talk about it. A lot of people are, are scared with some of these proposals. Like, well, no one's going to go to work doing animal control. If they're like, no one's going to shoot. If, I mean, if it's the right thing to do to shoot wolves out of helicopters for animal control, I highly, highly doubt that. And you say, well, you're going to be held accountable if you shoot, someone by accident, you're going to be charged with murder and you're going to pay for it. Well, you're going to have insurance for a lot of this stuff. Like you say, well, no one's going to be a cop if anytime you injure someone because you have to tackle them. But by the way, hold on a second. There's a real important point about police reform. You've heard me talk about non-lethal weapons. We would have, if, if cops were held accountable individually for all the injuries that they cause in the course of arresting people, guess what? They find ways to arrest people without injuring them real freaking fast. And they already have them. Pepper spray tasers. Like, why don't they use pepper spray more on criminals? Well, then I'm going to get it on me, and then my shift's over, and i got to go home and wash up. Well, you're going to go fill out the paperwork for the rest of your shift if you shoot someone anyway. I don't want to get paper. I don't want to get pepper spray on me. But even tasers. You know, they're starting to use tasers. You see a lot more use of tasers, and you see deployment in, in the hands of cops of way more effective tasers. And in those cases, you have insurance. Like, if you have private security, private security already does it. They already have insurance. If you're private, if you're a bouncer at a club and you injure someone, removing them from the club, and they sue you, and you're found liable, and it's by accident, the club's insurance is probably, they're probably going to cover that. Or at least they should, and in a lot of cases uh, that I know that, is this the norm? I don't know. I'm not an expert on these things, but it, it's definitely available. part of the norm. It's available. It's something that already happens and would be a huge mitigator of the unnecessary damage and violence in the arrest. So, all right. That being said, any last thoughts? CJ, Jim, all right. We are going to see you in the patron-only broadcast to at least have a smoke and watch this Sasha Baron 
Cohen video. With that, more peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other. Thank <laughs> you.